Praise the Lord. Um, the Old Testament, there are several characters that are viewed as being types, types of Jesus Christ, uh, types of the work that he would do to deliver his people, uh, types and examples of the coming Messiah. And uh, for example, Moses was the one sent by God to Egypt as a deliverer of the people of Israel. And he was to lead them out of Egypt, which is seen as a type of the world and sin. And he was to lead them from Egypt under the hand and direction of God to their promised land. And Scripture uses this, uh, these methods of types and what we call foreshadowing uh, to instill a principle we can see in Scripture later in the New Testament. So when you study the Word of God, if you see something that you feel like is a principle in the New Testament or a principle in the Old Testament, they're going to correlate. There's going to be a correlation between the New Testament principle and the Old Testament principle. For instance, uh, the sacrifice on the altar of the Day of Atonement, the altar uh, represents a place of repentance. And in the New Testament, Scripture calls people repeatedly to repentance. And, and so there's a type there in the Old Testament that establishes a principle and then in the New Testament, there's a principle that is uh, further supported again. And so uh, anytime you see something that you think is a principle, it's going to show up in the Word of God in a type and foreshadowing. It's going to be present in Scripture. Uh, but I'm not particularly going to preach on that today. I just wanted you to understand that. So that, that's like a free nugget you can take with you. You can write that down. God uses these things to show us some examples. Joshua, another example, Joshua, uh, whom we're going to talk about today, the name of Joshua means God's salvation, God's salvation. And Joshua was chosen by God to follow Moses and to lead two million people in Israel to becoming conquerors of the land that had been promised to them going all the way back to Abraham. And so Jesus, if we look in the New Testament, Jesus also being a type of Joshua, the name Jesus is actually uh, Joshua in uh, a Greek transliteration. The name Jesus means God's salvation. And in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. That's what scripture says. And so I'm just showing you an example of what types and shadows can do. If you want to turn with me, we're going to go to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 37. Uh, keep your finger in John 1 and John 3, and uh, I want to read this scripture to you. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, Jesus Christ, who loved us. Another example is 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we are called to victory through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through our Lord. 
and our Savior. There are some beautiful parallels of our journey of faith in the New Testament and the struggle that we see in God's people in the books of Exodus and in Joshua and in the Old Testament. It's kind of interesting, you know, they say there's the statement out there, people say it all the time, that history repeats itself, as everyone kind of heard that. History can repeat itself, right? And it's especially going to repeat itself if you don't learn from it. There's a good chance you're going to go through that same problem again if you didn't learn how to deal with that problem before. History repeats itself. And we see this in Scripture, history repeating itself. Uh, It's amazing how you can see in Israel the wavering sometimes that the people of God, they would be supporting him, and then they would go back to uh, following other gods or pursuing other things, and of course God would bring uh, judgment to them, and then as a people they would return. And you see that on on a national level, but you also see that in an individual level. If we think about uh, uh, um, uh, Israel, uh, the individual of Man, Isaac? No, Jacob. Jacob became Israel. And uh, you can see at different times, if you've ever read the story of his life, it's interesting. Scripture will be calling him Jacob, 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 and then his name is changed to Israel. And it'll refer to him as Israel, Israel, Israel. And he'll do something. And the next time it says his name, it says Jacob. Has anybody ever noticed that? Go and read it. It's interesting. Because it's kind of like this sense of like he was acting like the person he was supposed to become, Israel. But then all of a sudden he does something and he's not acting like Israel any longer. He's back to acting like Jacob. And you can see this on a personal level. So the stories in Scripture, they're not just kind of fodder and build up to the New Testament to get us through to the New Testament. They serve a purpose and they're valuable to us. In the first chapter of Joshua, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Joshua is getting ready to lead the people of Israel into what would become Israel, the land. And these people are in a time of transition. God had brought them from Egypt and 40 years was spent in the wilderness God had sustained them through that wilderness journey of those 40 years by supplying quail and manna. And here they were standing right at the edge of their promise and they're about to receive the thing that God has for them. And they're in this time of transition. It's a time of uncertainty. Transitions can be times of great uncertainty. And we we get confused in times of transition. God brings us to a place and we're about to move into another dimension or another location. And we start saying, well, what what do we do? What what am I supposed to do here? I'm confused. I'm, I'm lost in some chaos. And God does that. And, and we can see from our aerial perspective in reading Joshua that God has orchestrated everything and he's brought them to this place. But you know, when you're there and you're the one standing there, it's a whole lot more confusing. And so they're in a time of transition. And God is about to lead them into their promise. And what they had become accustomed to, waking up every day and picking up manna off the ground, what was experienced as being the normal 
It was in a time of change. The manna was going away, and they were going to be eating off of the fat of the land, and they were going to be transitioning into the promise of what God had for them. And so in Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Lord speaks to Joshua, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Verse 3 is what I want to preach from today. Every place that the sole of your foot tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So I want to preach to you today under this title, Faith, it's a soul thing. It's a soul thing, but it's also a soul thing. It takes some walking. It takes putting your feet onto the promises that God has put in front of you. And the only way that you'll stand and walk on those promises is in obedience. If you take the step and the action, what God is urging you to do. And what I found in my own life, and most of us will agree with this, is that whenever I get to a place of that chaos, that confusion, that transition, ultimately I know in a sense what I'm supposed to do. The reality is I have a fear about doing it. But once I take that step, all of a sudden everything's clear. And I know I really knew this was what I was supposed to do but I was trying to find any other door or way that I could get around having to trust God as I took the step that I needed to stay, take. It's a time of transition. So the Lord said to them, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. In a way, God was saying to his people, Right now is the time when you go from having this idea of what the promised land is, that you have believed continuously throughout the wilderness as you walked with me and journeyed with me. Now is the time that you go from that place to the place where you're walking on the promise, that your feet are actually touching the clay and the dirt that I have given you. It's time for you to walk into what God has given you. It's time for you to walk into what I had told Moses. It's time for you to take action. It's not time for you to sit back. It's time to move. Can I tell you, hardly anyone struggles with understanding or believing that God has promises for them. You know God has promises for you. I know God has promises for me. I don't doubt that and you don't doubt it. But what we do struggle with sometimes is whenever it comes to actually putting feet on our faith and walking into the promise that God has given to us. That's where we begin to waver and to struggle. I've seen it over and over in people's lives. They get right to that moment and I'm, I'm kind of sitting in the back thinking, uh, you just go ahead and take that next step. God's got this. And I know God is sitting up there going, you don't realize what I've put in front of you, but if you'll just keep going forward, you're going to walk right into the promise that I've planted in front of you. And so God is looking at his people and he's, in a sense, he's saying to them, don't stop making the journey just shy of the promise. And as a people, they're faced with this decision. 
Do we walk across Jordan? Or do we stay where we're at? We stay in the comfort zone. Or do we step out into the promise? And if you go and you look and you read, there's actually some who don't cross over Jordan. They don't go. They take their inheritance of the land on the other side. And they stay right there instead of where God intended for them to be. They could have traveled a little bit further and had the full promise that God intended for them to have. And so in preparing the people, Joshua sent his captains to instruct them. In verse three, or chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, he tells them exactly what to do to prepare. They commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, but 2,000 cubits by measure do not come near it, that, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. He says, don't get too close. We're going into a new place. We're going to journey in a new way. And you stay far enough back where you can see which direction the priests and the ark are going to take. And whenever they take it, you follow you got to take those steps too. And whenever they turn to the left side, you got to turn to the left. When they turn to the right, turn to the right. Whenever they go over a hill, you, you crest that hill and you follow them. Verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now notice what he says. He says you need to sanctify yourself. That means prepare. Get yourself ready for the service of the Lord. And there was a certain process that they went through to sanctify themselves in cleansing and preparing for God to move through them as vessels and as a people. But the next thing he says, he says, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So notice the progress. He says you sanctify yourself and then tomorrow in the middle of of your action, in the middle of what we're going to do, verse 3 and 4, in the middle of following the ark, God is going to do wonders among you. You're going to see what God does on the journey. And can I tell you, it's never when you're standing still and waiting and watching that God does the wonder. It's when you're in the middle of moving. It's when you're in the middle of taking the step it's in the middle of whenever you're in the middle of trusting God. And don't misunderstand me. Sometimes God has to open a door and he puts you in a place in a season and time where you are waiting on him. But it's in the middle of when he's told you, you need to take a step into your promise. It's in the middle of that, that God opens up the door and God does the wonder and God does the miracle. It's in the middle of being obedient to him that you start to see the thing you've been waiting on to happen. And so Joshua made it clear to them, God is about to do a new thing. God is about to take us a new way. God is about to take us a way that we've not passed before. You follow behind the ark and you pay attention to which way the ark is going because when it stops, you're going to need to stop. And whenever it starts to go, you're going to need to follow. And whenever they take a turn, you're going to need to turn. You get ready. You sanctify yourself. You prepare yourself for the Lord because tomorrow God is about to do something among you. The Ark of the Covenant has always represented the presence of the Lord. It was, in a sense, 
the most valuable possession that Israel had. It was not in anything else. It was in that, that ark. And the reason was not because the ark itself, and it was not because of the contents of the ark, but it was because the presence of the Lord chose that ark to be the place where it would descend and dwell on the mercy seat between the cherubims among those people. And so the Ark of the Covenant was very special to them, and it represented the presence of the Lord. It represented having the Spirit of God with them. Inside of the Ark were the pieces that represented the promises and the work that God was doing among Israel, His people. The Ark was the first thing that they had to have on them with the journey into the promised land. Those priests would bear that ark up on their shoulder and they would start walking. They would go nowhere without the presence of God leading them and guiding them. Can I say today that you have to have the presence of God in your life? If you do not have the presence of God in your life, you need to get it. The journey is way too difficult not to have God with you on it. The enemy is way too strong for you to take the land without God moving in front of you. The challenges of this life are just too great for you to face alone. You need the presence of God with you. We have to have the Spirit of God. The Scripture tells us that we need to be filled with His Spirit. You and I need the Spirit of God inside of us. They had the presence of God with them. But you and I have the opportunity to have the Spirit of God in us, filling us up. And we must be Spirit-led. The Bible, Paul challenged us to be led of the Spirit. The ark led them, and they could clearly see that. But the Spirit of God, you've got to have that inside of you. And every day, you've got to pursue God and hear His voice. What do I need to do today, God? What is my direction today, God? You just tell me. Give me a nudge, and I'm going that direction. You've got to be filled with the Spirit and you've got to be led by the Spirit because the journey is just way too difficult. The enemy is just way too strong and the challenges you're going to face are way too much for you alone. Having the Spirit of God is so important to walking with God that when Paul met some believers in Acts chapter 19, the first thing he asked them, he didn't ask them about whose ministry they came out from under. He didn't ask them about what they had been reading lately. He didn't ask them about uh, anything other than this fact. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you Believe. That was the only thing he was concerned about. He was concerned had they had an experience with the presence of God and the Spirit of God. Had they been filled with the Spirit? He didn't ask. If he'd asked first, well, who, who made you a disciple? Who made you a believer? He would have understood and known it was John the Baptist because later he asked them in the very next verse or in that same verse, he asked them, uh, well, what, you know, who, who were you following? The first thing he was concerned about is them having the Spirit of God. Them being baptized with the Spirit. And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, you're believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, well, we've not heard about that. And so he begins to tell them, well, if you've believed but you've not received the Holy Spirit, I, I, I want to tell you what you need to do. 
And listen, if, if you're here today and you're convinced Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you believe in Him wholeheartedly, you believe in His death on the cross, but you've not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, I want to tell you, I would not do any other thing until I put my focus on that one thing and pursued it to have the experience God intended for me to have. I would ask for God to give me the Holy Spirit every time that I prayed and I would pursue and press until he gave it to me. They said they have not heard. They, they said they were unaware. And I find people are like this. They've never been told. I deal with people all the time. They're told uh, that it happens certain ways, unscriptural ways. But I want to say that that the Spirit of God, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of baptism is the same for every person. It's not a selective thing. God intends it for every person. He's no respecter of persons. He gives to all of us the same gifts. Paul even said of the spiritual gifts, he said, pursue spiritual gifts. Well, if I can pursue them, that means that I must be able to have them. Paul said, your believers, your disciples, you've not heard. And so then in verse 3, he says, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He said, we were disciples of John the Baptist. We walked with John the Baptist. John the Baptist's message was about Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminds them of what John taught and preached. In verse 4, he says, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And in that moment, they remember, they know what John taught and preached. They remember what John spoke to them, that there was a one coming after him, that the, the sandal, he was not even uh, enough to latch his sandal, that that's how supreme Jesus Christ was, that he was so much lower than Jesus Christ, that they need to look beyond John and look toward Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was going to be the one that would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Mark 1, 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 7, and he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice their response to Paul reminding them of John's teaching and preaching. In verse 5, they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Immediately when they hear what Paul is saying and pointing to Jesus Christ and saying, well, John, you know, John was preaching about Jesus Christ. You remember what John preached and taught. He said over and over, you need to repent right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready. Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Get ready. That's what, John, what Jesus is about to do. And he kept saying that over and over. And immediately they said, you're right. And they immediately were baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. But wait, they'd already been baptized. So I, I asked the question today, does baptism matter? You better know it matters. 
They'd been baptized to repentance under John. They'd been baptized the same way that Jesus Christ had been baptized. The same baptism Jesus Christ submitted to. But here, in a moment, they're baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And really, it makes sense. Why would you not get baptized into the name of the one who died for you? If you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, you ought to be baptized into the name of the one who died for your sins, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says as much in Romans 6, 3-4, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? You and I be identified with Jesus Christ, be baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So these disciples were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the very next verse tells us exactly what happens. Paul had laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They knew, Paul knew, without any shadow of a doubt, when the Holy Spirit came on them. Why? Because they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. They spoke a language they had not known to them, that had not been known to them, until the Spirit that was in them now gave them the ability to speak. And they spoke under the utterance and guidance of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, just as they did in Acts chapter 2. It's a clear picture of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, what Paul didn't tell them you need to open up your Bible and write this down this day so you know that you accepted the Lord. Paul didn't say to them that, you know, one day you're going to be confused and you're going to look back on this day and you're going to remember what happened and, and you're going to feel good about it. No. God gave them a mark. A seal. That's what scripture says. It says it's the seal. God gave them something and experience that they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that every time that they had a question in their mind, they could go back and they could say, I've been sealed. There was something that happened in my life that I couldn't make happen, that no one else could make happen. The preacher didn't just welcome, welcome me into the church and shake my hand and say, welcome, we're glad you're here, glad you believe. No, God did something in my life miraculous that I knew without a shadow of a doubt. He had baptized me with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say, you need this experience. You need and you should want the same experience. The same spirit that they receive is offered to us today. The spirit of God moving in his church and in this world. It's the promise of God for us. Going back to Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. In verse 13, the Lord reiterates to the people, again, using the sole of the foot. He says, now when it comes to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. He said whenever the priest's foot, the same foot that's going to 
lead you and everywhere that their souls rest and your souls rest, whenever you follow them, that promised land that I'm going to give to you, every time you take a turn to the right, that's going to be your land. Every time you take a turn to the left, that's going to be your land. Every time you progress forward, I'll be giving you more of that land. He says those same priests and the Spirit of God that's going to lead you when their soul touches Jordan. Yeah, it looks like you can't cross it right now, but whenever their soul touches Jordan, that water is going to be parted up and that water is going to be held up. It's going to keep coming down, but it's going to stand right there as a heap and you're going to walk on dry land all the way across into your promised land. What happens if they never take a step? Water keeps flowing. You know what's interesting about Jordan? The River Jordan at certain times of the year in certain places it can become completely dry. It can be completely dry. They could walk through on a dry riverbed into the promised land. But God didn't take them there when it was dry. And he had 40 years to contemplate and think about when do I want them to arrive? How do I want to organize this? Maybe I want to just do the easy thing and get them there when it's completely dry and they could just walk across. God could have done that. But instead, he took them there right whenever it was no possible way for them to cross. He would have to do a miracle. He would have to provide a way for them to walk through on dry ground. God could have led them there and given them the easy crossing time, but he didn't. And I have two points I want to make from that. They were in God's timing and in God's location when he decided it was time to cross over into the promised land. Sometimes we start thinking, well, it's too late. Our life has went too far. Or the timing's not right. I want to tell you, God's timing is always perfect. For every point in your life, God's timing is always perfect. And the location that he chooses to operate in is always perfect. We cannot understand his ways. His ways are higher than our ways but his ways are perfect. And the only option they had in that moment, they had to follow to where he had intended for them to be. Right there on Jordan, when it was fully uh, flooded with water and ready to walk through on a miracle as he parted those waters and made them stand up in a heap as they walked through on dry ground. Stop asking why things have unfolded as they have. And instead, of asking why they're unfolding the way they have, start trusting him and saying, God, I may not understand. You can admit to not understanding, but it's all in how you question. One's very negative. One says, why have things happened like this? Very negative. Another says, God, I don't understand, but I know you order the righteous footsteps, the footsteps of the righteous and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk the direction you want me to go and I'm going to trust you that the whole way you have a promise for me to walk into. Start trusting God. The second point is this. Understand that God is not going to keep you from the floods and the currents of life all the time. I love it when God protects me and keeps me from stuff happening. I love that. I appreciate that so much. God, thank you for all the things you've led, you've had not happen in my life. 
But that doesn't mean that he's always going to protect me and keep me from the stuff that life will bring. Sometimes you're going to have to step into a flooded Jordan and try and cross the river. And God's going to be telling you, just take a step. Trust me, the river looks rough, but I'm going to put them waters up. But your foot has to get down to the gravel. You thought about that? When their soul, the priest, that first priest going out there and taking that step. He said, when your soul hits the ground, it's going to be dry. I like to imagine in my mind what it must have been like. With the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea, it was just like Moses stretched his arms and whoosh, walls of water. But in this moment, the Lord said, no, whenever the priest, his soul, begins to touch the earth. And so I kind of imagine that priest, he's walking out. He's going to take that first step. Rivers, they don't slope. They drop. And he takes that first step, and it's going to, he's not sure how deep that water is, but he starts to take a step. And he steps off. Lord, please, I hope I don't break this chair. He starts to take that step into the water. And as his foot drops, and I fall, as his foot drops, that water starts to come out from under his foot and pile up. And the sole of his foot lands on dry ground. And that next leg comes down off the ledge. And he steps in the water, stopping and starting to rise. Now imagine being the fifth or sixth person. You see the waters piling up. So he said he would stand in a heap. It's going to come down, but it's going to stand in a heap. And they're watching it. And they climb off that ledge. Nobody's drowned yet. This amazing sight, this water standing up. Imagine being the two millionth person. You know that water had to be high. Two millionth person just looking. They're not even watching where they're going. They probably stumble over some rocks that were on the bottom of the river. Looking at that wall of water that any moment could just crush them. You know that two millionth person is probably trying to trade places with that almost two millionth person right in front of them. I didn't want to say that number. It just seemed like a long number to have to say. Hey, you want to trade places? And they're thinking in their mind, that person's like, no, I am not being last across here. So that two millionth person is sitting there and they're thinking, please, please, don't let this fall before I get on the other side. Don't be happy with, you know, don't kill about 50 of us, the last 50 crossing. See, faith, faith is this thing, it's, it is a soul thing, and you've got to have faith up here. And you've got to remind yourself of your faith. But it's also 
the soul thing. What did James say? He said, faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. You have to walk the journey in faith. Faith will start you. Faith will cause you to take action. Faith will cause you to say, you know what? I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Faith will cause you to say, God, your, your promise of your word is sure. And if I ask you, you will fill me with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues just as you did on the day of Pentecost. Faith will cause you to walk through the struggles and the challenges of being Christian in a very unchristian world, in a world that is slated against you and facing an enemy that just wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and take everything from you. That's what faith will do. Faith will cause you to walk whenever the journey is hard. Faith is more than just believing. Faith is acting. Faith is obedience. Faith is trusting in God and knowing that every step of the way, God has planned for your arrival at that next place. God has planned for the next challenge that's going to come up in your life. God has planned and He's ordered and He's orchestrated and everything that you're walking through, every struggle you've had to face, God has prepared the way. And in the middle of it, it it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be painful sometimes. But even on the middle of it and at the end of it, God has the thing that you need that will bring healing for the trial, healing for the struggle, healing from the challenge, and you will be restored. You will be kept because the presence of God is with you as you walk in faith. And every time your soul hits the ground, you're getting closer into the promise. And every time your soul touches the ground, that that's another part of the blessing that He has given for you. This is what I've learned. Stand with me. The ending soon. I've learned that every one of our journeys, even though experiences are common throughout all of us, children of God, we have some promises, some things that God has given us that are similar. You're going to receive the same spirit I received. You're going to have that same spirit. But I've also learned that every journey is different. There are people in here that have had to endure some things that I've never had to endure. There are some things that I will go through that others will never have to go through. When I think about my, my kids being raised up, trying to raise them up to be godly people, to love the Word of God, love God, desire the things of God, their life and their journey is going to be different from mine. Their experiences are going to be different. But... The thing that's common is we all have to walk. The journey may be different. The mountain may be higher. The valley may be lower. The river you have to cross, it may be wider. But we both still have to walk. And it's in the process of walking, it's the soul thing. Where you're obedient and you trust and you take another step. The Spirit of God says, turn right, you, you turn right. 
When the Spirit of God says you go forward, you take another step forward. And you trust God by the obedience in your life. Because faith is a soul thing. And so my question today I want to end with is this. Are you trusting God? Walking? Regardless of how scary it may look right now. Look at someone next to you and just ask them, say, how's your walk? How's your walk? Are you limping? It's all right if you're limping. Take another step. Don't stop walking. You may be like Jacob. You may be dragging a foot behind you. Take another step. Just keep walking. It's in the walking that you put your hand on the promises. You put your feet where he intended for them to go. It's walking. Can we let the Spirit of the Lord speak to us for just a minute? I feel the presence of God here right now very strongly. I feel like God is speaking to someone, confirming some things in their spirit that they've been wrestling with and and. God's been doing the reassuring. He's been telling you when you pray and you, you put it in front of God, you're saying, God, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I've never been this way before. God's saying, just follow my spirit. Take your step. Take where your sole of your shoe is about to land, where the sole of your feet are going to land. It's I'm orchestrating this. I'm guiding this. I'm making this happen. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And the sermon today is confirming to you what you've already been praying and asking God. God, what do I do? It's a time of transition. I'm confused. I'm I'm not sure about this way. I'm not sure about what you're trying to do. God's saying, just keep walking. Keep walking. Just let the Spirit of God speak to us for just a moment. She's going to begin to sing. And then whenever she's, whenever we're taking a little moment and let God's Spirit move for a minute, I want to invite this entire congregation, church family. If you're a guest here today, you want to come, we want you to come with us. But you don't feel pressure. I want us to gather around the front. I want us to lift one another up in prayer because faith faith is a struggle. If you've never admitted that faith is a struggle, we all, we just don't want to admit it because it's still true. Faith, but faith can be a struggle. Faith is more, faith is a whole lot more about the actions you take than just about the belief that you have and hold. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. God, you know the person that their heart, you've been speaking to their heart as I preached, God. God, you've been confirming some things by your spirit to them. I 
pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, your spirit would settle into this place. We begin to draw on people and talk to them about the mountains that they're facing, the river they're having to cross, the valley they're having to walk through, the place where they find themselves, that they need to just keep walking, that you're trying to strengthen them, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.